Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with Jim and Bob, and uh, we are continuing our uh, <laughs> presentations of Picard season three. And this is episode four, gentlemen. Yeah, four. And uh, anybody know the title of this one by any chance? Intruder. Okay, cool. And uh, uh, oh, sorry, intruder or imposter? Oh, imposter, I think impersonator uh <laughs> impossible uh something with an m in there uh anyway the uh we hope you enjoy this episode um i no no win helped, scenario it helped no me win. oh that's right no win scenario that makes more sense yeah so uh um, that's that's no one's scenario that sounds like it's uh strange new worlds no it was this one because it was it was the uh yeah, they're playing with the Kobayashi Maru sort of thing and the fact that this is they truly I, I'm sure the writers sat down and said, let's create a true no-win scenario for them and yet have them figure out a way out of it. And um yeah, this this felt like about the biggest no-win that I've seen on a Star Trek show, which is saying a lot after 300 episodes. So anyway, uh what do we think, Jim? What were your thoughts on this one? You know, I'm kind of torn. Uh, it, it didn't seem like a whole lot happened. Right. You know, I mean, it was basically, you know, from the beginning to the end, what happened, you know, they they, they got out. Right. And, and that's about it. Um, but I, but I somehow like it, too. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I like it. Not a whole... You, I like to see more progression of the storyline. Yes. It didn't really progress the storyline very much at all. Right. Um, but but I but I liked it. Yeah. It's strange that we're almost halfway through the season. And it just feels like the speed that they're going is gonna be it's gonna feel rushed as we go to to service the rest of the characters that we have, but I don't know. Um maybe they're gonna be kind of too this what essentially this felt like was a two-part episode or something with this being the second part and so often the second part it's 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 more fun to get you into the problem like best of both worlds is the ultimate example part one is really interesting part two is the resolution of that and it's not as interesting though it's really well done this one i feel like kind of the same way with this i feel like to me I like the fact I like there's a couple things I like about this. One, they figured out a really creative way out of it. Um, it was hard to get Riker to go along with it. Um, but that was kind of interesting because Riker used to see as kind of the person who's willing to take chances, and now he's like the opposite of that, or at least in this situation he was. Um, that I liked that uh, the end of it felt like uh and by the way, spoilers, everybody, don't listen to this if you haven't watched it or, or whatever. But the end of it felt like more like a regular series episode, sort of where, oh, there's 
a birth of creatures and and things and and they even mentioned Farpoint, which is the first episode of Next Generation, where they have those creatures that are kind of born from the space station sort of thing. Um, yeah, so there were there was a lot of things to like um, in this episode. I certainly really enjoyed Shaw better in this episode than the others because it gave us what Shaw was all about and the fact that uh, and and it makes complete sense that someone involved at, at Wolf three fifty nine would or 359, I guess they always call it, um, would still be angry, perhaps, at Picard all these years later. I mean, he did kill, in a way, 11,000 people, or whatever the number is. So, I mean, that's crazy. Um, Bob, what was your take on this one? What do you think? So, I thought this was the best episode of the season. It looks like IMDb says the same thing. We gave it a 9.5, or okay. the last... Last one was 8.6, and I think the 8.5 of the first episode. I, I thought this was the best episode of the season. Right. Uh, a lot of really good backstory fill in, like that whole section with uh, Captain Ricard, you know, and the Borg. And there's a lot of good backstory fill in with him and his son. Mm-hmm. Like his son is in the bar. But one thing I didn't quite, didn't quite get was when... There's that scene with his son says, well, did you have a real family? Mm-hmm. And he makes that flippant remark, well, Starfleet was the only film I need. And then they panned to Picard. Was he actually thinking that? Or they're just showing Picard to like let that scene sink in? And was, I was trying to figure out that he was actually thinking that in his mind. What? Because you see some random person at a bar and years later, five years later, you don't remember who they are usually, right? Right. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I get was... the. Uh, my impression was that this story, this thing that happened five years earlier, or whatever, was kind of playing in Picard's mind throughout this episode. It's one of those things where you go, "Why am I thinking about that?" I don't know. I, you know, and then it plays out, and he's like, "Oh, that kid was that kid was my son that, that was there, and he's connected." connecting those dots together um i thought it was pretty effective that way uh it would have maybe i don't know would it have been nice i don't know it did to have them somehow acknowledge it oh that you know back to his son oh that was you five years ago in the bar you know i I don't know it maybe that would have been too on the nose and and just leaving it ambiguous like it was is the best way to do it but it just felt like his son would definitely know because for his son, he arranged to be there. He arranged to talk to Picard. He was wanting that t- interaction of some sort to happen. And then I guess when what Picard said about Star uh, Starfleet was his life sort of thing made his son go, okay, he doesn't want to have a life, so I'm going to walk away from it. Um, and so Picard, I would assume on his end, is going, oh, dang, I screwed it up. I could have had a relationship with this kid five years ago. And now I had to wait till now to have this relationship. Anyway, um, Jim, what what are your thoughts on that piece? Do you think it's like we described it or do you think it's? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Picard's remembering it. You know, after all that, then he's remembering it's like, oh, wait a second. That was him that, that asked. That. <laughs> right. Like, like you say, you know. He said it and, and kind of ruined his chances. But, you know, I, I think in that situation, you know, and he's old and stuff like that, 
you know, what is he going to say? You know, it's like, yeah, I didn't have a family of my own, but, you know, Starfleet was right. all I needed. Because that's all he had. And he, he did fine with that. You know, that doesn't just because he said he didn't need a family of his own didn't say doesn't mean that he wouldn't want a family of his own or he wouldn't have welcomed a family of his own. You know, and so unfortunately, it, it, it wasn't what the kid wanted to hear. But the kid was kind of set Picard up to say something like that and and shouldn't have, you know, in my opinion, shouldn't have judged. And people do that all the time. They set someone up, and then when the person act, answers the way that you pretty much know they're going to answer, you go, oh, well, then they are the jerk I thought they were, and you walk away. It's, it's um, you know, just not fair. He He should have come up and afterwards when they were by themselves and said – you know, introduce himself as his son or whatever he was going to do. I think head games never work for me. I don't think they're great, but it all makes sense the way it played out. But Bobby, you have something to add? I think, I don't know, his, his answer was sort of flippant and arrogant. He didn't really even think about it. It's like, um, look how great he's sitting there talking to all these other kids about how great he is. He doesn't even really contemplate the impact of that statement. He's just like flippant and sort of arrogant about it. Yeah, almost as if he's not really thinking that inside, but doesn't really want to admit it to himself. Well, he doesn't. You don't want to be in front of this group of people experiencing your deepest, darkest thoughts or anything. So, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to say Starfleet is a great life for anybody, and it's a great life for me, and and that's kind of what he was trying to get across, I think. But yeah, was he going to say it's like, oh, it was horrible? I. I, I gave up the thing and say, family say, say, and oh I really good. wish I had a family and oh you know yeah. I mean what's a person in that situation going to say? He's gonna yeah. like you know he didn't even really think about it though. Right. It's like I think he could have made it more thoughtful. He said yeah well I had to give you think few things up but I you know literally enjoyed my time in Star Trek or Starfleet. Yeah. I I don't know I thought his answer was just sort of arrogant. Yeah. No, I can I can see that. Um, and he, so I'm just, but I don't think he could have gotten too much more in depth. I think the closest he could have got is something like you just said, where it would be like, well, in Starfleet, unfortunately, we have to do give some things up, and a lot of us don't have families. And uh, but I I have had a full life without that or something, which would have still pissed his son off. I think I I don't think there was any good answer that could have come out of that. I mean, let, the only thing that could have what the kid in a dream world probably wanted, I guess, was either for him to say, oh, I've always wanted a family. I regret that I never had one. Or that he, that he said, hey, kid, stick around. I'm done when all these guys are gone. You and I can talk and, and I'll tell you what I really think. It's, it's essentially what you'd get. Because there's no way someone's going to share a bunch of personal intimate things in their life in front of 20 other kids or whatever. It's like, you know. That's also the issue I have. The scene I think is effective but the problem I have with it is People say they step to you in a bar and five years later, I don't remember. I mean, he's just some, he doesn't even know he's, his, it's not like he knows he's his son at that point. No. It's just some guy in a bar. So would he really remember him in that detail? I don't, I don't know. Well, I think that's why they're playing it off like that's why he didn't recognize him immediately from the, oh, you're the kid from the bar, right? It was, it was where he had to be thinking about that. And and playing it through, and then wait a minute, that kid in the cap looked a lot like, oh, it was him, you know. Well, um, Picard does have a positronic brain now, you know. Yeah. So so he should be able to recall those he things. Did, he did it five years ago, though. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, but also memories, all those memories were transferred into the proselytonic if those memories were still there yeah but you would think too with his kid it would trigger his memories a little bit more just for the fact that he was the only one there with like an accent and he was you know just certain things about his kid are really memorable and so i could see how he could connect those two together that the kid was the kid in the bar but i do think it's one of those things where you'd almost in real life have to ask were you the kid in the bar five years ago you know it's like i think you were and 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 it's like then the kid could say yeah i came to see you and i didn't like your answer whatever it was going to be but yeah but again this is a tv show this isn't real life so it's not they deal with it in an entertaining way not necessarily a way that leads to the resolution that we're hoping for or want or whatever but no, I agree. It was a really good episode uh, overall. Um, it, her sh- so the 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 sh- shriek shrek shrike shrike oh, <laughs> the famous shrike uh, got kind of messed up at the end of this. Um, I did like that Riker did one of his kind of crazy things that worked, and I I kind of with all the abilities that ship had that all of a sudden you could throw something at it and it would hit it without uh, it trying to fire on the thing or something. And I, I don't know how that happens. I just, cause it, again, so often the ship gives you all kinds of trouble or the bad guy gives you all kinds of trouble that you can't deal with. And all of a sudden when you're supposed to deal with it in the, in the storyline, all of a sudden you could do something that seems like it would have, never worked in the first place and now all of a sudden it works because it's got to work because you got to move on with the storyline well it was it was convenient that that they had to leave the portal device out outside right so Riker gets all upset with Picard oh you killed us and everything else because oh let's fire on this ship oh you've killed us because they've used this portal device and aimed it back at us right and so Riker does the same thing by throwing a giant asteroid at this ship and if they had still had the device, they'd open up a portal and a giant asteroid would slam into their ship, you know? So yes, you're right. I didn't think about that. Know, so, 100% so, right. so he did exactly the same thing, you know, one but with a rock, you know, as one's throwing a giant rock, mm-hmm. you know, but yet he blames Picard and says, oh, you've killed us all. And, and he does exactly the same thing, you know? Right. That and also the, the, they're running into asteroids, but their shields are up. So apparently their shields were down. Because they're hitting asteroids all the way down, right? They keep saying, oh, it's weakening our shields. Right. So her shields were obviously down. Maybe she was, was she that cocky? Well, but but their ship ship wasn't damaged. I mean, the the Starfleet ship was damaged, and then it was going down all damaged, hitting those things. And so it was already in really bad shape. But she she hits him with a rock and it goes right through her shields and destroys the ship. So obviously her shields were down because the Enterprise, even damaged with the shields up, could handle being hit by an asteroid. They well, were not something that big though. But so let me let me get this straight. So did the Ener- did the Titan right? It's the Titan. Did they did they have their shields up inside the nebula or whatever it was? Yeah, we kept, yeah. So they had their shields up. 
So theoretically, yeah, the other guys could have their shields up too. Because I thought it was like the Matara Nebula or whatever, where your shields wouldn't work inside of it. No, they had their shields up. Okay. They both had their shields up. But, you know, it's, it's that type of thing where shields may absorb Can't the stop a rock. Weapon. Yeah, may, may absorb the, the energy <laughs> weapons, and but yeah. you still got this giant rock hitting your shield and pushing in all the mass and inertia behind it. Right. It is is going to cause problems. Yeah. Okay. Or it just needs to at that point in time, so that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Because the writers wanted that to happen. So... Uh, anyway, did we did her ship her ship didn't blow up or anything? It's just damage. no, it's just damage. It's going to take them a couple of hours or whatever to restore war. So she can still be a villain later. On, I mean, come back later in the series or something. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting if she is or if they're just done with her and move on to because they have no, like two be, other villains that they're going to have back. to go through. So she'll, she'll she'll be back. They even said at the end, it's like you know we we've gotten away from her for now or something okay something for that effect so i'm sure she's coming back right i just i just you know i i'm going to assume everybody's seen the previews and everything so i just don't know how you fit in dr moriarty or whatever into this thing and then how you also fill it put in lore into this and bring her back Within what six episodes left, right? And so, Doctor Moriarty. Yeah, Moriarty comes back. Sorry, I guess I shouldn't have said that, Bob, because you haven't seen the the previews. Obviously, he's been in a lot of the previews, and it, 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 they'll show his character turn around and towards the camera or something. Um, yeah, because well, you, you remember Moriarty was in the the Next Generation, Bob. That he was in the. Yeah, he was in one. He was in the episode. He was in two episodes. One was the first time they had elementary dear data, where they had data be Sherlock Holmes and LaForge be um, Watson in the holodeck, and and they yeah. they made a they they said they wanted the ship because because data kept on solving all the uh, mysteries quick, even when they made up. They first started with. A, a, a mystery that existed in Sherlock Holmes. And of course he just skipped all the narrative and got right to the end and gave away the ending. Then they did one that, that was a Sherlock Holmes like adventure, but he, again, it was able to figure it out too fast. And so they said, give us an opponent that is worthy of data or can defeat data. I think they, that was the term could defeat data. And so then all of a sudden the ship's, has a power drain because it's creating this character. It's got to figure out how to create this thing that could defeat data. And so it creates Moriarty. And so then, uh, uh, then the rest of that shows about Moriarty and, and things, then uh, they get sued by uh, Sherlock Holmes estate. So they can't use Sherlock Holmes anymore and they can't use Watson anymore, but apparently they can still use, uh, Moriarty, so Moriarty comes back uh, in a later episode, and uh, they end up uh, preserving him. Each time they end up preserving Moriarty because he's like a villain with a heart of gold or whatever he is. He's got his own reasons for doing the things he does. He's just trying to exist, trying to survive as a holodeck-created person that has that sentient. Um and so apparently it's gonna he's gonna show up in this series at some point 
whether it's a good guy or bad guy, we don't know, but I assume a bad guy. He uses his superior intellect to save the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I get and, the then, and then somehow they're supposed to also have lore fit into this mess, so we shall see. And still need Jordy, too. Yeah. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Jordy and Marina Sirtis, you would think, is coming back for something bigger. Sirtis, or however you say her name. But, uh, yeah, but, I mean, she's been in it, so I mean, they could call that good enough. And, you I, know, I maybe- don't think so. I, I think from I think she's going to be back and have a major story point. Um, well, I guess when Picard and, and Riker, when they get back to wherever they're going, she can meet up with them or whatever. Can I? Do you want me to speculate on what I think's happening or what I think is going to happen, or do you want me to keep it to myself? I mean, do you guys want? Well, to... you could speculate because you know three quarters of the time it's wrong anyway. So that's very good. So <laughs> I think I think what they're doing because they're showing Riker and Troy have some tension between them. He like went away because when they when they show them on the first season of Picard. They were tight. They were like a, a couple that had gone through a lot and they were leaning on each other, which I think was the best way to present them. But I think now it's like, oh, there's been some tensions. I kind of went away, but I feel bad about that now. So uh, they're kind of estranged from each other in some ways. I think that they're going to resurrect the the... Wharf, Troy, Riker triangle, romantic triangle thing, and and I think uh, I, I think I, I, it sounds to me like in the stuff I've heard behind the scenes, they haven't really come out and said that, but they're like, we're going to introduce a, 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 and when we first saw that something happens between some of the main characters on the show. Everybody was like the draws dropped, and they're just like, "Oh my gosh, they're gonna do do, do that." So I think I think they are gonna play with it. I think she's gonna stay with Riker, but I think there's gonna be a little toying around with that whole thing. I think they wanted to because they just kind of they played that up in like season six of of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then season seven they kind of danced away from it and just kind of didn't let it play out and then in the movies they act like it never happened so i think i think the writer is like oh i want to seal this thing up i want to end this triangle thing with, with a suitable ending um which wouldn't surprise me and then the other person that sounds like might be coming back could be tasha as her I don't think it's Tasha maybe it's Tasha as the Romulan but as the Romulan yeah and and I I don't know if that's a great choice. I've never really loved her as the Romulan. I, I was okay with her as Tasha, but we'll see. I mean, again, you've got six episodes. So what are you going to do with these six episodes? So lose yeah, I mean, for I the ride. I've, I've been okay with the ride so far. I mean, we've rated every episode as like a seven or better. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think they'll do the the uh, Wharf Riker. I hope they don't. Probably I don't think it's a great they idea. They don't have time. They don't have time. And and it seemed like at the end of this episode, when when Riker is tra- talking to Troy and stuff, it seemed like they were in a, a much better place. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, because I find that that whole kind of line in this particular uh, season 
just kind of strange and off because, you know, I mean, the, the way Picard is saying, or the way that Riker is saying that it's all has to do with the loss of their son and everything, you know, and how he couldn't get over it and, right. and, and all this other kind of stuff. But last season or whatever, where the season, season four, season was one, one, that, one, yeah. The Nerve one, episode or whatever it was their, called. Their, their son had long died before then, and they seemed like in a good place, and he didn't seem like he was just, you know, not being able to get over it and everything else, you know. And and so all of a sudden... It seemed like you know, they'd gotten over it together, which was a much more right. meaningful thing, like they were even closer than they'd been. And so that all of a sudden, right. had that eat away at Riker didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, so that, yeah that whole thing to me, just it, it's it's like, but, you know if people have a problem with that, they have a problem with that at first and they're trying to deal with it and everything else. And then it gets better as time goes on and then they get into a better place with it. It doesn't go, Oh, you, you get into a good place with it and you've worked through it and you're doing fine. and Everything is good with it. And to all of a sudden now it's to the point where you can't handle it and it's destroying your relationship. That Not without thing, some you know, other traumatic event, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if they had lost their daughter also, Yes. You know, something like that. And so that brings up, oh, now we've lost two kids or whatever, you know. And, and so then then they, I could see, you know, it, it leading to this, but right. it's still just being as My legacy is gone. Now all I have left is Starfleet or, you know, something. Could it? Yeah. 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 So that whole, that whole line of the story just to me is just, it's kind of, but it's, it doesn't make sense. But it's a, me- I think it's a mechanism to play off with Picard and his son. It doesn't make sense from the plot line, like you're right. For season one, it's like they're all tight, but I think they're using it to to play off with Picard. Because I think it's, it's like it's like he always like Riker's like uh, that. Seventeen seconds is the longest time, and then they have Picard, and it's like they're doing a sort of a parallel thing. Right? Yeah, but they, they could still do all of that. They could still do all of that without his relationship with Troy being you know, in a big thing, you know, I mean, though, the whole reason, you know, he'd be going off doing that, helping Riker wanting to help out Picard and stuff like that. And Troy not running away from Troy, but, you know, because he's going and helping Riker, all that could be the same. I mean, everything could be the same. He could be talking to him about, you know, it's like my son, I really wish I had these times back. I wish I had more time with him. And I mean, they could do all of that stuff without having the conflict between Troy and, and Riker. It just, it just doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. There's a couple things that, that, um again that last episode that still sticks in my craw this whole thing with Riker and Picard going at each other so much um I I've been thinking that through and how some folks have suggested it it felt like it was a rewrite where they just gave Riker kind of Shaw's lines um if you go back and you think Shaw doesn't get injured right and then Shaw, it's Shaw that's in charge of the ship, not Riker. And he and Picard are having that fight back and forth. Everything that, that Riker says to Picard makes sense for Shaw and works with his character just fine. Especially knowing what we know now about Wolf 359 and, and Shaw. Yeah. He's just waiting to unload on Picard. And here's Picard again sacrifices his damn ship right that that now you've done it now you've now you've got a four ton torpedoes that you finally goaded me into firing at them and now they sent them right back at us and now they're destroying my ship you you destroyed my previous ship and and most of the people on it i got lucky enough to get away on a shuttlecraft or whatever 
and you destroyed 11,000 other people. And now here you go again, you're destroying yet another ship that I, I mean, it makes complete sense. And it just feels yeah, like does. they rewrote it and said, oh, let's have Riker be in charge and have this and get this guy out of here. But then they didn't rewrite the lines like they should have rewritten them for for Riker. Because I think Riker, even when he's pissed off, isn't going to say things quite the way he did. He might all those things might still happen, but it just would play out slightly differently. He wouldn't say, get off my bridge, you've killed us all. He'd say, get off my bridge, maybe, or or I, I couldn't even see him that. I, mean, I know, right? I, I know. I'm just trying to stretch it as far as I can. He's pissed off what he's gonna say. I don't yeah, I I don't think so either. I don't think he says any of that. So to yeah, me, I mean, my, he, the way I'm always gonna justify my mind is kind of say, no, that was a part that was written for Sean. It totally makes sense with Sean. And just at some point, yeah. you know, and it, it, who knows? It could have been Jonathan Frakes that said, oh, this would be so much more interesting if we played it this way and had it be me and Picard that were having this dialogue. It would shock the audience. And my goodness, it would be this and that. And maybe it was a last minute rewrite. And it's okay, we'll, we'll give the lines to you and see, what, and see where it goes. But it just, like I say, seemed out of character even Riker at his worst I don't think would say something like that so yeah I mean they they have you know their whole lives you know for you know, 20 30 years they've yeah. worked together they've had situations where things have happened and, and not worked out and they've been in dire situations and sure. you know all sorts of things and and they've always worked together and been right you know friends and and trying to do it for him to all of a sudden you know, start going on about how, oh, you've killed us, get it off a bridge, and, you know, stuff like and that. the That's fact that, that Riker's, Riker's, the issue we have with Riker is that he's a little too cautious, in the, and he's never been portrayed that way before. Shaw has been portrayed as too cautious the whole time, so why, why have two characters that are too cautious? It's strange, and so, like I say, it makes complete sense if it's Shaw that's doing all of that, and having this admiral telling him attack, 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 and he's like, "No, I don't want to attack. I'm not going to," you know. And he's trying to find every yeah. way to avoid it, and then finally gives in and does what the admiral says, and then then blows up the admiral and like, "What the hell? You made me destroy my ship and kill all these people and blah blah blah." And then have it at some point where Riker takes over and saves the day. Yeah. The next episode works better for me, but they could have just wrote it so that he got hurt later. Yeah, there. I think though. I mean, I think that makes sense. It does. The lines are way more in character for Shaw. Yeah, but I also think Star Trek is too. Any two people that are together that much, they're gonna. Oh, I agree with you, and and that's what I think. Jonathan Frank, if if Jonathan Franks did this, or the writers, whoever changed this, if they did change it, it makes total sense that they would go. It's like brothers arguing. They're gonna argue and things. It's just. They took it a little too far. It's like I say, it's not written for his character. I, I would they if they were gonna do it, they should have done it, and then they should have just tweaked the lines a little bit to make them a little more they could still be aggressive, still be against each other, but had it make sense, you know. I think Riker, and I don't think Riker would have to be timid to not do it. I think Riker could have said, This is not gonna work. They outgun us by way too much. There's no way we can do this. This makes no sense. We gotta find a creative way out of this. I've always find creative ways out of things. We'll find a way, but it's not that way. And and that would have worked better for me 
than what they well, and, and then if he decided to do it, he would have owned it. You know. Yeah. Would, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That that's Riker. Riker is not. Oh, you talked me into doing this thing. I did this, and now it backfired on us. As it's all your fault. Fired, as soon as he fired the shot, that's his decision. And Riker, in the character, in the way the character's formed, he would take total responsibility for that. You know. Yeah. I destroyed the ship. I killed us all. Maybe he would say that, which would be a big stretch for him too. To 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 accept. He's never really. He's always found a way out. He's been kind of like the Kirk of this series. Every time he's put in charge of something, he always finds some creative way, like throwing the rock into them was complete Riker type stuff. Well, um, yeah. And, and and I would, I would definitely see him blaming himself long before he would blame Picard for it. You know, it's like, you know, I, you know, I took your advice and I've killed us all, you know, but, but instead of blaming Picard and going off on him. Right. I, yeah, I, I do know. find it I do find it strange though. I remember early on they were talking about oh how we we're we're going and we can't if we hit an asteroid we'll lose this wave or something like that. Yeah. But then they grab an asteroid and throw it. Well that was after they, they, they were, were done with the wave at that point, I think. Oh, um, were they? Oh, okay. They were yeah, they did that with the tractor beam though. They didn't hit it. No, well, no, yeah. but they also weren't they done with They'd gotten all the power out of the wave, and they were done with the wave yeah, at that point. Yeah, I think they were still riding it, but they charged up their their warp drive. Yeah, dilithium crystals or whatever gets charged through the. Well, and that's the other thing. It looked like they blew up the dilithium chamber thing, part of the engine. It's like yeah, now all of a sudden you take all too. this power in, but where do you store it? So eventually, I, I guess you fixed it enough to hold. Well, I don't think. Again. I don't think they destroyed. I think they just made it so that they couldn't open up their baffles or whatever. Oh, so okay. he, he no, I, did something I was, so he couldn't. I was with Daryl. I think they destroyed the lithium chamber because they weren't no. even doing any baffles before that. They never opened the baffles in any episode. This is like a new thing that they even have them. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was noticing as well. I'm like, oh, the writers wrote in that they have to open these baffle things to take on, like, like, it's like putting out solar panels or something. <laughs> like, oh, we have to deploy them and, and moving them out three feet is what makes them work. If we leave them attached, that they won't, they can't collect anything. It's got to, it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, you have to, you have to go back to the, the episode where the changeling. Yeah, blows it up. Blow, blows up, and because they, they say what it is, and it's not like it wasn't like they, they blew up something super critical, but they blew up something that, that had to have some yeah. kind of step that they had to do in order to be able to, the, to create a warp, warp field. Drive down though, it took the warp drive down. They've never right because done, they they've it, never it, had this thing where they can charge, open the baffles and charge through space. It just right. well, I, no, I don't think I don't think the baffles were were charging from space. I just I, I think what it was. Is in order to go to warp, there's certain things that have to happen, and they blew up something that prevents one of those steps that has to happen in order to create the warp field and go to warp. And so, yeah, and so we have to see. I have to go back and see what it was they said that they destroyed. It might have been something having to do with the baffles or whatever that needed to come out to create the warp field or whatever. And and so by doing the bottom line is you got to look at this. This is a show television show that's written and when they write it really? the writers were going they did something they they sabotaged something so we can't use warp drive all our power's gone 
were in a hopeless situation because they needed to create a, they wanted to create a completely hopeless situation. There's no way out. They can't divert power to anything else to make things work. And so they have to think together and come up with a solution together through, and Gates, uh, McFadden has part of the solution that she comes up with or part of, at least notices that they're apparently in someone's womb sort of thing. And then somehow they they grab onto that and say, oh, well, we could bounce those waves and we can jump across that. And all the things they did is a essentially a writing experiment where they're saying, okay, this all makes sense. And then how are we going to regenerate the thing? Okay, well, let's have there be some kind of baffles that open up on the sides of the things. It'll be a new effect we've never seen before. Kind of a cool thing. It's always cool to introduce something new. And so they did that and said it charged up the ship somehow magically though it sure looked to me like they were destroying the part that would contain the energy when it comes in and so they would they i could see them get the energy but then it would just sort of dissipate it have nowhere to go unless it just stays in the the uh engines the warp warp day cells or something but whatever i don't need to understand all the technology it's it's the enterprise never existed neither did the titans so i don't know ron Ron there's a writing experiment making it quote unquote believable. Yes. I think they just tried to make it believable enough. I mean the fact that he can he can go under there, pull two things apart, and it makes yeah. this baffle go and come out. That seems like it would take a lot of energy to knock that then make that thing come out and wouldn't just be disconnecting something to make that happen. But he was doing other stuff. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> It's like it's like <laughs> uh, flick your fingers around. Look like you're doing something. Okay. Ah, oh, yes, this is it. He's got, he's got the probe thing. Pull that cord. I'm disrupting yeah, the it, name of the Essentially, flow. it comes down like you when you're pulling a cord out of a wall. <laughs> yeah, all these other steps, and the final step is I just need to unplug it. <laughs> <laughs> reboot, reboot. Uh, anyway, whatever. <laughs> But yeah, other than that craziness, I mean, I, I did enjoy the episode. I did enjoy that it felt like more of a regular kind of next generation episode than any others have felt. They, the other ones have felt like they're, you know, part of an ongoing story, whereas this felt like, okay, it's kind of a closure of this one chapter of the story. And so, yeah, and I, I, I can live with that. So, and like Bob says, it's favorite episode for me. Let's see where I would rate it amongst all these episodes. I'd rate, I'd still, I I like the first one best because I love the Riker Picard buddy exchange that they had. That little, that whole adventure thing was, was fun. Um, second episode was the least, but still a very strong episode. And this episode was extremely strong as well. So it's, it'd come in second place out of the three for me. Um, how would you rate them, Jim, against each other? Yeah, that's I would go the same way. I think the first one was the best one, and then this is probably the second best. Yeah, yeah, and it, I would, I, and I would. I don't even it, know uh, why I asked Jim because he always goes with whatever I say. So that's uh, I, I, I would usually proceed to Daryl. You're completely right, uh, but <laughs> well, that's why in school I always copied off your answers because yeah, I wanted to have yeah. exactly the same opinion on everything as you do. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah. Bob, how would you rate the three against each other? You'd rate this one as I, I would guess you'd go three and then the first one and then the second one. I don't know. No, I'm going with this one first, then the yeah. last episode, second, the first episode, third. Oh, second, okay. 
for it, which is basically what IMD, IMDb is saying. That they're, they have the same, if you look at the ratings, that's kind of how they rate them. See, I think Jim and I know we're both right, and then but but we know that you have to have all the data to back whatever you say. So no, I, I just bat, I just had the opinion that I looked. Yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I did fail a lot of tests in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that maybe my technique in following what you did is probably not the best thing. Well, the problem is you didn't just copy the test. You also copied my name. And they said, why do we have two papers from Daryl Lance? We'll give them both Fs. That was yeah, the problem. I, I didn't think they'd figure that out. <laughs> Nobody told me when you copy somebody else's test that you're not supposed to copy the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no. Uh, oh, and then who... We always try and rate who we think uh, benefited the most in this episode uh, as a character and things. I guess I'd have to give it to Shaw and say this was the, that speech he gave in the bar was pretty amazing. And it made me care more about his character than I have before and things. So it made me understand why he's such a jerk and things in, in so many ways. But. Bob, who would you give it to on this one? I'm, I, mean, I hate to say it, I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> I didn't, like I said, I didn't hate him before. I mean, now a lot of right. Things. I think that now you understand why he's such a dirtbag. Yep. Well, and you always had it, like I say, if you go back and look at our previous episodes, you always had kind of respect for him in some ways more than I did. I, I just didn't like the character and thought he was kind of a waste of space that they wouldn't have to waste storyline on him. But I think this whole, again, I think the writers have grabbed something that has been laying there for years that no one's really articulated. But it's like, you would have a bunch of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that would be, would never let him go from being the cutest and the, and the fact that he did these things. He was, When he was in charge of them, they killed my brother, my son, my, my husband, whoever, all these people that are related to these people that died, they're not going to get the nuance of the fact that, oh, he was taken over by them and he had no control over his thoughts and whatever, whatever. They'd be like, no. It, I think they, they didn't they address that in one of the, the first two seasons? They had some people that were having issues with him, haven't been accused to. I can't remember. But it yeah, seems like I, I, I believe remember. so too. It was in the first two seasons. In the, the Lacutus episode, happened in the third freaking season, so they couldn't talk about it in the first two because it didn't exist at that point, Jim. No, <laughs> I'm talking in a Picard. Oh, the first two seasons of Picard. Yeah, Possibly. it was either last year or the year before. I can't remember, but it seems like they had somebody that didn't. Probably in the first season, because then that was when they had the uh, the the big Borg sort of piece as part of it. But I don't yeah. think it was. I don't think it was as direct as this one was. I think it was more hinted at or suggested. But I think this really nailed it with getting someone with his truth, letting him just go with his feelings. And I love the fact that Picard, when his son tries to stand up for him, just says, "No, it's okay." I mean, I think I think he thinks he's totally right. He's like, "I've tried ever since them to redeem myself." Um, but I haven't, you know, I don't, in my mind, there's nothing, it's irredeemable. What I did was, and and I get it. I mean, how, how do you fix that? How do you make it better? Uh, I love, 
I was just watching the best of both worlds and after it, the next episode, which I always make a big deal about how it was the the least, the lowest rated episode, like in all next generation history. I think it's because maybe there was a Super Bowl going on. Something was sucking away audience. I don't think it has to do with the episode. The episode was a good episode, but it was called family. And in that episode, he goes back to his vineyard with his brother and he's, and they have a fight in the mud because he's because he's he's like holding something back and he won't tell his brother and he won't there's something bugging him and so his brother they get in a fight and then it, at the end of the fight is he's covered in mud and the rain's coming down you know to cover his tears and everything uh he says i think it's rain so uh and he says what does he say he says i tried so hard i tried i tried and i tried and i couldn't stop them i couldn't you know, and you just could feel for the character, feel for Picard that it's it's like being drugged or brainwashed or whatever it is. You couldn't stop it. It doesn't have to do with the fact that you're a weak person or anything like that. I mean, Picard was one of the strongest people we've probably ever met as far as the character internally is core. And yet the Borg can take over. Any, it's it, Resistance is futile is their whole s- statement, right? So, so... I think I think between that speech, if you if you grab that, I've been thinking about taking that speech on YouTube and the speech of Sean putting those kind of together. I think that really gives you the whole picture of of that thing. That was a good episode. Huh? It really was the lowest rating of, of Next Gen. Supposedly, oh, yeah. I actually remember that episode pretty distinctly. I know, right? But they said it was the only episode that I don't think it ever had a sh- single shot on the bridge. It's like the only episode in the whole series. That, that took place other places the whole time. But I'm like, who cares? I mean, you're you're with Picard. That's where you want to be or whatever. I thought it was brilliant to, to not just be done with it and move on like nothing happened. Just, oh, it's time for the next episode. I mean, I think you'd need to deal with the ramifications of that. I think it was good to deal with the ramifications again on this episode because, I mean, when you're somewhat, somewhat, way involved and even people can look at you as to be to blame for the death of 11,000 people. That is a lot. That is like, how do you, how do you live with that? How do you, you know, and I, and we still don't really have, it might've been nice to have Picard leave there and then go talk to somebody about how the fact that how he has lived with this or how it has bothered him all this time, but I guess we just have to read it on his face as to how he feels about that sort of thing. Good. Well, he That's would, why he, this he is a really always, good episode. But go ahead, yeah, Jim. He, he would always run into that. I think every, you know, any, yeah, just just random times he would run into somebody. I'm sure that that has an issue, and, and so it seems like it would kind of just always be creeping back. Yeah, I would yeah. think so. I mean, there's got to be thousands and thousands of people that were affected by it in one way or another. Um, yeah, and some of those would kind of realize that you would assume who knows, we don't even know if they have newspapers or news things or anything like that, but you would assume that's that you can see a CNN sort of thing where they'd have arguments around a round table of half <laughs> the people saying, Well, it wasn't his fault, and he didn't invite this to happen, and so forth, and and the other half going, Well, it's still his fault, he was there, he could have. They used his knowledge base to do this. If they didn't have his knowledge base, they couldn't have done this. 
I could, you know, and Picard, I think, would not. He's he understands things and he's smart enough. I don't think that it would let he would let it affect him. You know, so it, it would be like, you know, I know I couldn't do anything about it. It, it. it is what it is. I couldn't do it. You know, if this person is all upset because of me, whatever, let them vent, let them do it. They have a right to be upset. They, you know, they went through a bunch of stuff. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Let them vent. All I can do is live the best life if I can and try and save the universe as many times as I can. And <laughs> somehow in the grand scheme of things... Well, he, he would. I don't think. He would, I don't think he would blame himself. I don't think most people would blame themselves. You know, if you, if something happened like that, I, I wouldn't blame myself. And but I would understand where other people would ha- would you know have yeah. issues and problems and stuff like that. And I would accept that they have that. that but right I do think in the episode but, "Family," you can see that he does blame himself. I and mean, maybe that's just right in the aftermath of it. And maybe he deals with that. But I think. I would always hold something against myself with that. Something that the least would hopefully drive me on to be a better person than I could be. I mean, it's the whole in uh, Private Ryan as uh, he's dying and says, "Earn this to the to Private Ryan," right? And and Private Ryan says his whole life he's been trying to earn that they all gave their lives for him to live. Uh, it's similar in in that. I think sort of yeah. yeah. You also, I mean, I think you hear that from soldiers, and it, it also comes up in um, Band of Brothers when the the one leader guy is in Paris on leave finally, and he's sitting in the bathtub, a warm bathtub, and then he's remembering the scene where he takes out this like teenage kid in a Nazi uniform. Right. He comes over the ridge and just poof, poof, automatically shoots him, and then he can see like seeing his face. Right. I think that that shit, even if it's not really your fault, still haunts you. Oh yeah. See that from like you know soldiers from Vietnam and stuff. Right. Right. But certainly in Picard's case, which is unique, it's less his fault than any of these other people. It's not like he even made a, a poor decision or anything. He was taken. He was abducted, taken over, had no control over anything. Um. But it's tough, yeah. Weird, but uh, yeah. So I'm I'm glad they dealt with it. I'm glad we had this to talk about. I mean, for me, that's the, the crux of the episode. There's a lot of things in this episode. Like, um, obviously, Jim is completely wrong with the way he talks about this episode <laughs> at the beginning. But too, what, what else? That's why I always go to him first because then we know we can just pick him apart as we go. <laughs> I think Jim's right, though. They're going to have to hustle now. Yeah, they, they spent a lot. They spent two episodes on a pretty heavy character development, which I like. Yeah, Jim likes more action. Now they're going to have to. They got all sorts of loose ends to tie up, and you know, you said characters to bring in. Right. They're, they're going to have to back on the character development and. Not, not, not even loose ends to tie up. Just the whole, what's going on? Right. Yeah. We still don't even. We still don't even know what's going on. So you know, it's it's like. We haven't even got to the point where we know what what's going on, and so at some point we got to find out what's going on, and then they've got to fight and defeat and and well, and, and they've got to do something it. with the wharf storyline, right? I mean, that's yeah. they didn't even touch on that in this episode, mm-hmm. so that's got to develop into something. Um, well, I think I, I think they're, this is where they're going to come together now, you know. So they're getting back, they're going to come together, changeling, oh, changelings, and and then they're going to yeah. get together. Did you did you guys notice when they 
when they dropped the portal device before they went back into the the shrike before they went back into the the nebula that said daystrom institute on the on the device oh, that, they, that they jettisoned had big big writing on the side of it daystrom institute so it's the same portal device they used to shift the the technology to shift that recruiting office or whatever is the same one they used to open up the portals for the Oh, yeah. For some cool. reason, I didn't connect those that they were both the portal devices, and it was using the same portal device. But, but they where, were. Where did they use the portal device to move what offices? What are you talking about there? The recruiting offices that Rafi went to try to stop the terrorist attack, and they opened yes. a portal device underneath the recruiting device, and then opened it up in the sky. So they dropped the whole recruiting offices from the sky. Oh, that right, right, using, right. That was using the portal device. They didn't oh, okay. blow up that thing. They just opened up a portal underneath it. And, and so the whole building fell through the fell portal. Um, and then they opened it up above and then it fell from the sky and crashed down. Yeah. And so that was the portal device, which is the same portal device that they were using to, to you know, move the ship in the nebula and to open up for the... Shows you, I mean, it, they did a good job of showing us in two different ways or multiple different ways how a portal device can be a very powerful weapon if you wanted to use it that way. Right. So I don't can you, since I guess I'm too dense, can you explain to me why they had to drop it? I was like, I didn't get it. Well, because they opened a portal from one place to another place. Right. No, so, why did she have to why did she have to leave it outside the nebula? She took it in before. Oh, they said that it 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 worked on graviton beams or graviton something or another. And so if they got in because of all this the 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 stuff in the nebula pulling the stuff to the center and it, it would mess up with the gravitons and they couldn't take that device in there with them or something. But they did it the other episode, right? When they were make, weren't they in the nebula when they were jumping? Through? They were, but they couldn't go down to the, to where the, 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 the really low depths of it were really, really super high concentrated graviton yeah. or whatever that would, would cause a problem with it. Huh. Well, and, and, Every time Riker was trying to get them out of there, of course, they'd be out of the nebula when they would be trying this. So it could theoretically always be working at that point because they're on the edge of the nebula versus... Well, it wasn't even a matter of working. It was that they couldn't even have it because otherwise they just wouldn't have used it. They had to actually jettison it. Right. So, you know, so it's just that when they're in the nebula, when they didn't get into the gravity well that was pulling them down they were just flying in the nebula they weren't close enough to the gravity well but then they kept pushing the ship closer to the gravity well and they got caught in the gravity well but as far in. as we know Riker didn't know that they didn't have that thing right no he didn't no he would have so no theoretically idea. your thing with the rock in his mind he probably should have thought oh we might get wait, the we, rock thrown tried, back at wait, us we tried this before <laughs> yeah um because essentially he's doing the same thing Picard was doing, sort of. The, the hit him, you know, it's like... Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was doing exactly the same thing he blew up on Picard for doing. Right. So it would have been... Maybe it would have been a good piece of writing to add that somehow they knew, like did a scan of their ship or something. Wait, they don't have the... Whatever, the portal anymore. And... And then Riker could have said, oh, quick, grab that rock. You know, maybe that one little piece of dialogue would have made it make quick, more grab sense. grab that rock. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, then, then it makes me wonder too. So, so if they've stolen the technology for these portals, so was it the Shrike with this technology that opened the portal on Earth to to drop the building? Yeah. And if so, how could they kind of be doing that around the same time that they're supposedly out there? No, chasing... no, I, that's why. That's why I think they're going to do another character. It's going to be somebody else that was in charge of that piece. And but if they stole the, lore, the technology, that was, you know. What? But if they stole if they stole the technology, then either they just you know stole the technology so they could build their own stuff, right? But then why would the one that they had on the Shrike, say Daystrom Institute, on the, in big letters on it, it's like, well, that was on the blueprints, so we put that on it. Well, you, you know, know, and, and that's the other thing we don't know. I mean, maybe I'm totally wet with everybody they're going to bring back, and maybe they bring Daystrom back because Daystrom is Daystrom dead. Yeah, it's got to be old. Yeah, he's no, no, not not the actor. I'm saying the character is a character dead. I think he is right. Didn't he get vaporized or something by his computer in the? Or did he just? Or did he just go crazy yeah. and they took yeah, him away? He had, a, he had a breakdown, but he have to be super old, right? I mean, talking right. about card, so that that's Kirk's timeline. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You'd have to bring him forward in time or something. I mean, I wouldn't. The character couldn't still be alive. It could be Daystrom's child or something, but oh, not even that. I think mean, this is hundreds of years later, isn't it? This is a hundred years later. I mean, we in the first episode of Next Gen, you had uh, McCoy getting a tour around the ship, a really, really old McCoy. So theoretically, someone from that timeline could still could have been alive then. But I mean, now you got to add another. 40, what, how long since that first episode? 40 years, 35 years later or something? I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, you can't really reach back to, to original Star Trek. You, gotta, you can reach back for anybody from next gen you can bring back, theoretically. But, you know. Anyway, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. It makes me curious to see where they're going to go with this. And I can't say I'm... Uh, I'm uh, I, I could see them go in pairs of episodes, though. So it wouldn't surprise me if the next two are, say, Worf-centric to tell us more of Worf's storyline thing, or have Worf but me and Geordi, and then and then they're jumping, linking up to the main team, and so you end up with all of them getting together in that way. And then you'd still have four more episodes, right? So I guess with six more, you have quite a bit of room still. Because um, the only main character, we, we have all the other main characters in here except for Geordi, right? Because we have Worf, we have... Oh, yeah, Geordi, Geordi and if they're going to bring Marina Sirtis back for more. Data. On Data, yeah, but Data's... It's not going to be Data, so the, it's going to be a lore. The next episode is called, is the one that I thought this episode was called it's called imposter does that give you any clues yeah it tells me it's <laughs> going to be more of the uh yeah more of the changelings um yeah who i i don't know i mean yeah that's what's great about changelings it could be anybody anybody we've seen so far anybody that we haven't seen yet i mean it could be rafi for all we know or it could be i mean you hope they're not going to do it where there's a main character that doesn't really ever make an appearance because uh, it's been a, a, you know, a changeling the whole time. I just figured it out. Ah, I, I just figured it out. 
That Bob's a changeling? I was figuring out the whole time. No, lore is behind all of this. Yes. Okay. And that's why they have to bring Moriarty back. Because Moriarty was designed to be able to defeat Data. Yes. They have to use Moriarty to To figure out how they can defeat lore. And so he plays a key role in defeating lore because that's what he was designed to do with Data. I would give you points for that 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 would I, be i think yeah. that's going to come into play we otherwise there would, be no, there would be no reason to bring moriarty back except right. for he was designed to be able to defeat data right and and so since they're bringing lore back right. well if lore is going to be on the good guy's side there's no re- moriarty is he's he's designed to defeat them right you know unless they well, have obviously if, if, you, if you could design someone in 30 seconds that could defeat uh data and it took you some energy and it and it took the form of this Moriarty guy. Why would you bring back Moriarty? Why wouldn't you just say computers design me how, how would person I, how, that could how defeat would I defeat you? this? <laughs> how yeah, would I exactly. defeat this? Because, well you know, and, computer... and you'd say versus well, lore is pretty similar to data, so let's have Moriarty, who's designed to defeat data, defeat lore. Wanted to say, computer design us. Uh, it's that whole AI thing, like now, right? So you just say, design a a person, a entity that's capable of defeating lore, and bring him to the bridge now. And then they it brings some other person up there, but whatever. It's more interesting to bring back a character from the past. So yeah, that's fine. Or, or maybe Moriarty somehow escaped, and now he's this AI that's someplace else, and he's the bad guy. I mean, and it makes sense. Back, become a good guy to fight Moriarty. I mean, if and, they're trying to play off of AI being such a big thing, which it is right now, what a brilliant thing to bring back an AI character and have the character be whatever we think, AI, either good or bad, whatever he ends up being for AI. So yeah, a whole season like that's called season one. <laughs> well, it was was it all about it was all about it was all about androids and things. They're AI. That's basically yeah, AI. yeah. I yeah. don't know. A lot of things could happen. I mean, Moriarty's more like pure AI because he doesn't even have a form really. It's all computer generated form and everything, but. I don't know. Well, see, in the end, Picard dies, and so then he's still got his positronic body there, and so then Moriarty gets inserted into Picard's dead body. The Picard is not, so now Moriarty goes on, and, and so next year they're going to have a Moriarty series with Patrick Stewart walking around as Moriarty. So it's called Picardiarty. Yeah, I think it's going to be Trelane that's behind it. Trelane. <laughs> <laughs> Or bring back Wesley and he can be in charge of everything. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely keeping me wondering what's going to go. I mean, I do think I felt like they sort of ended an arc, though. I feel like they're starting in a new place. So we'll just have to see. This is going to, I think, like Jim's saying, they got to forward the storyline. They can't just sort of keep on staying on the Titan and seeing what, you know. Yeah. So I I think they're going to come together. Yeah, figure out what's going on, and then work together to go and fight and win the day. That's what they've got to do now. Yes. Now, does it happen in the next episode or an episode later? Who knows? So I can. I think see- yeah, next episode they'll get together and 
and they they might kind of figure out what's going on or start to figure out and then the next following episode they'll definitely know what's going on and then be starting off to try to figure out how to defeat it okay i'm going to share a spoiler from the next episode there's not much of a spoiler it's just really entertaining they they always show a preview on uh ready room and the preview they showed from the from the next episode is is a it's not a fight scene it's a it's kind of like what what uh Worf used to do with Riker when they had like training together exercises where they fight each other for training purposes and things so was, was that when they were saying that they when Wesley walked in they said no 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 Riker and and Worf they're they're wrestling Wesley they're wrestling <laughs> Yeah, yeah I think why don't they have cut. any clothes? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, this is this is Rafi and Worf fighting each other, and it's pretty cool. It's a it's an excellent fight scene that they do. Um, so it's it's going to be fun to watch that, and because uh, hopefully it's extended beyond what even I what we saw, but um, in the preview, but it does show that Rafi and Worf are going to be in this episode somehow, and that Worf's apparently trying to train Rafi to be, I don't know better at fighting or a better spy or whatever she's she is with him whatever because they're sort of what federation uh-huh. agents i don't know what the hell you call them well they're section 31 right are they officially section 31 bob never heard say that back. i don't bob doesn't know at least so i mean she's Still thinks she's working with Starfleet because she was thought he was Starfleet. I don't know. They never said officially. I don't think. But he's not okay. But could be but, Section Thirty-One. My question is, they're not going to wear those leotards like they did in Charlie X, right? Yes, they do. That that's one of, was one of the exciting things when they wore the leotard, <laughs> especially being as the leotards have no top, and so Rafi was fun to watch. The fighting it was excellent. Uh, anyway, but uh, that's beside the point. Uh, anyway, uh, anything else on this episode we we got? Did we we already ra- no, we didn't rate it on the scale of one to ten. We just rated it against the other one. So let's rate it one to ten. So I'm going to give it a. I don't know what the heck did I give the first one. I think I gave it a nine point five or something. I guess I have to go down a little bit because I said first was better than this one. So I'll go with a nine point three five. I am going to go with uh, eight and a half. All right, Bob. Um, and I'm gonna have to go nine. A nine, okay. Which is like the highest I've given it, I think. Is it? Okay. What'd you give the first? Like an eight something, eight and a half maybe for the first sevens and eights, I think. Okay, fair enough. So uh, I'm no, I'm very happy with. We don't have any episode in this season so far where we're all trashing on it. We're four episodes in, still fairly happy. A little concerned with the storyline that we're like, okay, don't you need to speed it up a little bit or something? Uh, but other than that, cool. All right. Well, we will see you folks next time. Enjoy. Uh, see episode five, right? Next week. And then Absolutely. we'll be back with you to talk nice. about that. Today in the Ready Room, we get a mission briefing from the USS Titan's commanding officer, Todd Stashwick, who plays Captain Liam Shaw. We examine the transformative history of the Changelings, and we learn about the science behind the science fiction of Star Trek. Warp your way out of a life-giving nebula and head straight to the Ready Room. Hey, 
nerds, I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek universe. It is impossible to trust anyone when there's a changeling saboteur in your midst. So, in order to reassure you that I am not a shapeshifter, I am calling for a red alert! This week's episode of Star Trek Picard, No Win Scenario, is literally a wild ride for the crew of the Titan. If you haven't seen it yet, don't let spoilers bring you down like a gravitational well. Stream the episode and return to the ready room to hear everything about it. Okay. This week, I am so excited to chat with Todd Stashwick, who plays Captain Liam Shaw. We'll be breaking down his character's tense relationships and what it's like serving as the USS Titan's commanding officer. In this week's episode, we see the gravitational well in the heart of a nebula that is the epitome of exploring strange new worlds and seeking out new life forms. Well, later on, the science advisor to the Star Trek franchise, Dr. Aaron McDonald, explains the ins and outs of a gravitational well, as well as other science facts behind the science fiction in this week's episode. But first, the Changelings, also known as the Founders, have been one of the Federation and Starfleet's most devastating opponents ever since they started the Dominion War in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now, the bad news for Starfleet, which is good news for us fans, is that they're back and more menacing than ever. Here's a look at the sticky history of the shapeshifters we love to loathe. Control room, engage. Throughout Star Trek's long history with shapeshifters, none are more dangerous than the Changelings, also known as the founders of the Dominion. Major, the Changelings are the Dominion. And in Star Trek Picard Season 3, the Changelings have returned with designs on conquering the galaxy. Your Federation will crumble! is a Changeling. In Star Trek Deep Space Nine, fans are first introduced to the Changelings by way of Odo, security chief on the series' titular space station. I've been called a Changeling on occasion. With no memory of his past, Odo longs to know more about his origins. The exploration of you, what you are, where you came from, it's never far from your mind, is it? That part of it is true. However, he soon finds answers when his fellow changelings invade the Alpha Quadrant. Calling themselves the Founders, they start what would be known as the Dominion War. The changelings have reached Earth. Upon their first meeting, the Founders reveal to Odo that the changelings evolved on a distant planet in the Gamma Quadrant, where they live in their liquid form in a large sea called the Great Link. The Great Link tells us that many years ago, our people roamed the stars, searching out other races so we could add to our knowledge of the galaxy. But how could you be sure that we'd find our way back here? The urge to return home was implanted in your genetic makeup. As the Changelings explored the galaxy, they were met with hatred and violence at the hands of the Solids. No! For self-preservation, the Founders formed the Dominion to end their abuse, no matter the cost. We will emerge stronger and in a far better position to take the Alpha Quadrant once and for all. Devastated, Odo refuses to join with the Changelings in their vengeful attacks on the Alpha Quadrant. 
Nevertheless, the Dominion sees great success in the war through their use of shape-shifting spies and the military prowess of the Jem'Hadar. Thanks to their unique liquid anatomy, changelings do not die of natural causes, but they are not immortal or immune to other threats on their lives either. Determined to exploit their vulnerability and thereby eradicate the Dominion threat, Starfleet Section 31 tortures several changelings to develop a lethal virus. Odo is infected with the virus and passes it on to the Founders through the Great Link. Disgusted by Section 31's genocidal intentions, Deep Space Nine's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Julian Bashir, develops an antidote for the illness. Odo agrees to cure his people of the virus in exchange for the Founders' surrender, ending the war. Fulfilling his promise, Odo returns to the Great Link, curing his people and building a new peaceful dominion. Though most of the Changelings remain in the Gamma Quadrant as part of the Great Link, there are some who have separated from the rest. On Star Trek Picard, they hide among the solids, sowing chaos throughout the galaxy. I was attacked. This place, it moved. There's a Changeling. It's not every day that I get to talk to the captain of one of Starfleet's finest vessels. But today is one of those days as I talk to Todd Stashwick. Todd, thank you for being here in the ready room. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to Star Trek. Yeah, uh, right? Before we talk about Shaw, yeah. everyone's favorite new Star Trek character, oh. let's talk a little bit about Talok. Talok. Talok? Talok. One of my delightful quirks is I deliberately mispronounce Romulan So names. that I can yeah. jump in yeah. and correct you. Yeah. yeah. A Romulan posing as a Vulcan on Enterprise. That was I. Yeah. yeah. So that was a minute ago. I don't even know. I don't <laughs> count because it'll hurt my, my brain. But that was a while ago. Talk to me about coming back to our, uh, our fun universe uh, as a very different character. Super Anything, different. any contrast? So this has been part of, like, Trek has been, you know, part of my DNA since I was a boy. And so okay. just to be invited to that party and to don the ears and right. the haircut, because I was a Vulcan for the first half of that experience, and then they put on the bumpy forehead and moved the hairline back and leaned into my villainy. Um, so it was cool to be part of someone else's party, yeah. Uh, as you do as a guest star, you jump yeah. in for an episode or two and, right. you, and, and you don't want to move the furniture around. You just hit your mark and leave. But still the pride of going, yeah, now I've made my mark in the Trek uh, universe. That guy doesn't know he's going to be a captain oh, he someday. Know this. How does that guy react? So Terry Metalis, the yeah. showrunner, uh, he comes to me and says, I, I, I've created a role for you on Picard. And, and I just didn't believe that. I feel like maybe you underplayed that moment just a little bit. If I could just billboard it, may I? Terry Metalis called you and said, I have written a role for you in Star Trek Picard. Yeah, yeah. And do you drop captain. the phone? Do you it's fall down? Like, well, what do one you of those do? Things. And he tells you it's a captain? As a, you know, as an actor, the first thing you go, well, that's, I'm so flattered. I can't wait to see who you get to play it. Of because course, right. we're, we're so be used me. to the yeah, we're right. so used to like uh, welcome to big setup little payoff. Yeah, um, of course. But because of who he was and, and and his relationship to the show, he he and he's a man of his word, and he meant what he said. And yeah. and uh, then he called one day, and then I was suddenly in wardrobe being fitted for my 
for my captain's uniform. And so I had to compartmentalize yeah. the, you know, the actor who's been in the business for 30 years was like, I'm excited to play a part. This is a juicy part. Uh, the 10 year old in me is going, oh my God, this is so much fun. And that was me every day for five years. Right? <laughs> and our, you know, yarn, we, our nerd blood runs deep. So, so deep. the fact that we get the opportunity to make the things that we like to consume. Yeah. Uh, this is a show I watch anyway of course regardless of me being on it and so it was never lost on me the experience was never lost on me every time i walked onto my bridge every time i sat in my chair every time i said things like uh battle stations like it was never lost on me uh the um the custodian that i must be to carry to carry the weight of uh of the tradition and and the joy that i'm feeling and at the same time uh, an actor who has to make choices and, and fulfill a you role. You have to do the work. Do the work. Right. It's, did you have those moments of tension, internal tension? I have to do the work. Oh my God, I'm working on Star Trek. I'm in a uniform. I'm on the bridge. I had those moments all <laughs> the time. It's, you know, I, I, I will say, I have had the good fortune of working with Jonathan Frakes says uh, he's been my director on other projects. Yeah, and so uh, between between Frakes and Terry, the the pump was a little primed before I arrived. Sure, they were like, "Oh, there's this guy coming to work with us. Yeah. You're gonna like him." And I'm here to enjoy my life and enjoy my job. Yeah. Uh, and so I walked into a very warm room. Uh -huh. Like I immediately walked in and I felt like home. And having been a lifelong Trek fan. Knowing what the job requires, knowing the tone, knowing the what we're delivering, uh, I never felt overwhelmed or overburdened yeah. or afraid. I want to talk about the chair. So I noticed there's just a thing that we nerds kind of recognize in each mm -hmm. other. It's unconscious. It just exists, mm -hmm. right? It's like, uh, uh, it's like stink lines. You know? yeah, <laughs> we yeah, just yeah. see them in other nerds, right? Uh -huh. So I'm watching Picard and I see you come onto the bridge and I'm like, he's a Star Trek fan. That actor gets this. That actor knows what this means yeah. because that actor is a fan of the show and that right. actor is in the audience. I have also seen what it's like when someone is an actor, a very good actor, an incredible actor, that doesn't respect the chair the way a nerd respects the chair, right? Yeah, I mean, so it's a, it's a just thin talk line. about the chair. It's a thin line where you go, I am creating a new thing. Yeah. I, we are, I'm not looking backwards, but uh, I'm, I have to create a new character in this universe. So, so this character's relationship to the chair is his own and whatever background he brings to that. At the same time, we're custodians. Yeah. We're custodians of something that has come long before uh, me and, and will continue long after me. Yeah. Um, and so my job is... Uh, to hold that, like you were saying, as a fan, yeah. hold it up for the for the fans to show that I care about it. Yeah. And so my relationship to, to the physical chair yeah. is like, well, well, Kirk sat like this, and Picard sat like this, and how is what's my what's my take? How do I sit in this? How does he hold command? And the reality for me physically was. Oh, this character is a mechanic. Like he was—he was an okay. engineer, and he's—he's yeah. he's a grease monkey, as they yeah. referred to him. Yeah. And so I really wanted to get that kind of like, all right, we're looking at the engine, we're yeah. figuring this out. Like a very—he's a car guy. Hands on. And my dad—I yeah. was a blue-collar guy from Chicago, so my yeah. dad—my dad fixed machines. Sure. Uh, and so uh, yeah, he's a car guy. On our set, um, uh, 
there were two kinds of people, people who would sort of defer to like Patrick, may I sit in your chair? And people who were just like, I'm gonna take a picture of the chair, right? <laughs> I was always offended by the second type of person. Uh -huh. Did you have that moment where someone was like, may I sit in your chair? No, they, oh, they disrespected my chair. Dude. There's always somebody else sitting in my chair. Oh, I'm so sorry. I would it's never have fault. done that. It's not I would have respected and like, loved your chair. There was, I mean, you you want to have the, the fun, like when Patrick would be just chilling on the set. You, I mean, there were a couple moments where I would go, <clears throat> but it oh, was man, it was all funny. out of absolute uh, play. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and and there was there was a moment like, oh, of course, of course. But no, everybody was sitting in that chair. One of the things that I find so incredibly refreshing and incredibly interesting about Shaw. Um, uh, that makes him just like, I cannot stop watching him. We in the audience, we in the Star Trek universe, sure. revere Jean-Luc Picard and William Riker. Yeah. They are legendary. They are spoken of yeah. the way you speak of a god. Yep. Yep. Shaw has no time at Gives all zero. for that yeah. shit. Nope. These dudes are messing up everything and like listen it's great that you did this stuff mm -hmm. but i'm trying to run a ship here and and it's not necessarily great sometimes i know <laughs> i love that about him every one of my next generation co-workers that has come yeah. here through the couch this yeah. season we've talked about how much we love that point of view yeah, it's about our characters yeah. and our time kind of carrying the baton yeah i find that really interesting because it's very real which brings me to mm -hmm. the Quint speech. You must have heard about the Battle of Wolf 359. 40 Federation starships up against one Borg cube. Yeah, it's just an engineering, just a, a grease monkey. And the next second, it's like, it's like space itself was burning. One of the things that Terry had said to me when he was describing who Shaw was going to be and what, he's, what his role was in season three, and the reason he's named Shaw is after Robert Shaw, because Quint would have been a little too on the nose, but at yeah. least it's informed by a man who has been through some severe trauma and, uh, and, and put himself back together yeah. in a way that is deeply informed by that trauma. Yeah. And then suddenly it is brought in stark relief. He can no longer put it behind him. And in many ways, this is an opportunity for catharsis. Yeah. And so interestingly enough, I've often talked about, um, you know, you talk about the hero's journey and I'm gonna get a little like righty here, but you talk about the hero's journey and then there's the, the belly of the beast. Yes. And this is what that episode is. Yeah. It's the belly, and literally in the belly of a beast. Yeah. And, and often when characters are in the belly of the beast is when they bear their truths. Yes. And so uh, often in an organic environment, Luke yeah. in the cave, uh, you know, like you, right. you, you, you can go, you can see this sort of historically that we are in an organic environment. That bar feels like a cave. Well, but even literally the ship itself yeah. is in the belly yeah. of this celestial yeah. beast. Yeah. And so we can't go anywhere, so we have to face ourselves and we have to face our demons. Yeah. And so for Shaw, never in his life thought he would ever have to look Jean-Luc Picard in the face. Has to. 
and it is the Quint moment of the Indianapolis where they've had a few. Yeah. Uh, they're essentially in a bar in Jaws, and that's this moment. It's, it is a, it is a lovely way for this character to bear his soul, and you see his pain, and you suddenly go, oh, he isn't just an asshole. Right. He's a man hurting. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know from, from episode one that this was part of his story? Yeah. Yeah, and you use that to build him. Yeah, I yeah. did it. I mean, he he obviously makes different choices than obviously Quint would. Yeah, Quint's far more. Uh, I think Shaw is a bit risk averse uh-huh. because of the events of the of uh, of uh, Wolf Three Five Nine. Yeah, he will do everything to keep people safe and not put them in harm's way. Yeah. So when he hears the story of these reckless rangers, of these of these these people who constantly are putting their crew at risk in his mind. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have reverence for them. Yeah. Because it, 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 it is that very behavior that put him in this situation in the first place. That lack of reverence brought the entire series kind of closer to reality for me in a way that I had not experienced before. There was something so very real about like, look, y'all, there's another side of this guy. There's another side of Picard that like a lot of people have to deal with. Like, remember Cisco's wife? There's repercussions. Like there's fallout from this. You yes. guys go on your merry way, yeah. but there are people in the wake that are cleaning up after your after your messes and it is almost a fan discussion yeah do you know what i mean it yeah, is totally. uh, and, and shaw is that voice in almost in a meta way yeah when he says he's like we're not going to be crashing the ship we're not going to be exchanging fire there's a moment at the end of that scene that uh that really affected me when picard kind of excuses himself in absolute shame I've known Patrick Stewart for 35 years and it is the very first time, it is the only time I saw him look small. He looks physically small and I just thought like, that is incredible. That felt to me like one of those, this is why we do it speeches. Are you aware of this likely landing in one of the top 10 Star Trek monologues? Have you thought oh, about that? Uh... That's all I think about, Will. No, oh, good. <laughs> uh, no, of course not, of course not. I mean, I knew, when they handed you the script and it's a two-page monologue, yeah. like you go, okay, I have to, I got to do my work. Yeah. I have to do the work to honor not only what this character is going through, but the significance uh, of the significance of this event and how it is directly connected to this beloved two-part episode yeah. back in the day. And God bless Frakes. He just gave me all the room on the day yeah. and, and Ed and, and, and Patrick. And that was one of those lovely moments where Patrick kind of comes up to you after the scene and gives you a little chuck on the shoulder. Oh, and like, oh. There's nothing like that. Oh, my, my. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, so, I've had that. So in terms of, of how the fans receive it, I I hope uh, I hope uh, it, 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 it moves people. Uh, I hope they get insight into Shaw. Yeah. But yeah, it was a special thing. And then the fact that, you know, in the edit, they left it intact. Yeah. So uh, they didn't clip a word. And so wow. I that's, was like, that's awesome. Yeah. That's rare. That's rare, people at home. <laughs> <laughs> that, just, that, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. All the it, time. Was, it was a humblingly uh, to be entrusted with something as, as meaty as that was really humbling.
Shaw has to deal with another Borg on his ship, an ex-Borg, um, in Seven. This is Captain William Riker. Will, this is Seven of Commander nine. Annika Hansen, sir. Captain Shaw prefers that I use Hansen, Admiral. His experience at Wolf 359 affects his relationship with her? Well, of course it does. Yeah. And I think he's often not, he's not wrong. Yeah. He's not wrong. Right. And so, and he chooses his first officer. Yeah. So I think he has to compartmentalize. Yeah. He recognizes her skill. I think he, when he was younger, I think prior to the events, he was probably much more like her roguish and, and risky and whatnot. And so she gets to be the things on the bridge that he won't let himself be and needs that that other voice of yeah. a much more uh, impulsive, brash uh, risk taker, which is why I think he chose her as his, as his first officer, but won't call her seven. Yeah. So that's how he compartmentalizes. Like okay. he recognizes the, the qualities of uh, the leadership qualities and her instincts as being necessary. Yeah. But she is Annika Hansen to him. When we were doing Next Generation, one of the edicts from Gene Roddenberry was that there just wasn't meant to be conflict among Starfleet officers, right. that we're kind of like all on the same team, yep. which philosophically is great, but yep. dramatically is not real fun to watch. Right. We eventually kind of had to mix that up sure. and bring it to Next Generation, but Shaw's kind of there from the first moment. Well, if... if uh you know, if if Riker and Picard had been behaving like Starfleet officers, maybe there wouldn't be conflict. But they clearly weren't. Yeah, they weren't. So, so my conflict isn't with their rank or their position. Yeah. It's with uh, their choices that betray their oath. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the charter, you know, they're constantly breaking the prime directive. Right. That's the thing that I joke about all yeah. the time, right? Yeah. Like we have the one rule you're not supposed to break that every captain breaks like yeah. multiple times yeah. a year. But as far as conflict goes, uh, the reality is at, at first he's, um, he's super passive aggressive. Like when you meet him in the dinner scene, he's not, it's not conflict. We're having a fine, fine meal here. So he he's doing his best to to not be con conflicted, yeah. uh, and yet the passive aggression just drips and drips and drips from his tone. I really enjoyed that scene when they come into his quarters, yeah. and I feel like it just tells us everything. Your reputation preceded you so far into the room that I started early. Ah. Shaw eating that steak <laughs> is blue. such gorgeous showing without telling. Well, and then when, when Picard hands me his Chateau Picard, yeah. and I'm like, ah. That is, that is terrific. I'm much more of a ballback man myself. He just disses him so hard. It's so just beautiful. Yeah. I love it. That might have been actually the first scene that I shot. Really? And so it was a really lovely, lovely way to uh, set up the dynamic with uh, this character. And then also they gave me a meal, literally and yeah. figuratively, uh, of a scene to to find my uh, vibe with the actors, too. Yeah. Have you spent any time thinking about how you're like kind of linked to Star Trek now forever? Yeah. I mean, it's... it's and I had been with Talek, but now this character is... This is such a special season, and to be uh, to be connected to it, you know, they can't take that away from me. Like this yeah. is one of those uh, as a, as a nerd boy, 
this is every once in a while you get a good one and right. they, they gave me a good one i I'm feel humbled. so happy and just like satisfied when when one of us gets there do you know what i mean it's hmm? like somebody from the neighborhood made it yeah That's right, right. Yeah, you know i came it. into this i came in i was a second city chicago guy yeah. and i thought i was going to be doing snl yeah that was that was the goal yeah and then i stumbled into uh, a lot of villain roles yeah while doing half hour sitcoms but doing a lot of like you know the buffies and the angels and the supernaturals and all that and so yeah. i stumbled into genre yeah uh and so star trek uh Enterprise was part of that process, yeah. but this is uh, this this experience is not lost on me. Yeah, this is not lost on me. Is there anything you want to tease about the rest of the season? We're four episodes in. We're like kind of nearing the end of the beginning. Is there anything that you want to talk about? Any are there any Shaw moments? Is there anything that you, as an actor, thought was awesome that you want to tease? Uh, uh. I, I I hate spoilers. Okay, uh, that's an entirely acceptable answer. Yeah, you can stop. I, right I there hate if it you because it's like like it's the joy of the joy of storytelling is 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 surprise, right? Yeah, um, you ain't seen the last of him. Like okay. he gets to you know his that episode four was a great turning point for him, and and, and you see, well, I get to paint with more colors. I'll say that. I'm very much looking forward Thanks. to that. Thanks. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Well, This week's episode sees a changeling impersonate several officers aboard the USS Titan. Which Starfleet officer did a changeling spy imitate for months on Space Station Deep Space Nine? A, Miles O'Brien, B, Julian Bashir, C, Benjamin Sisko, or D, Jadzia Dax? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. Star Trek has a long history of making sure the science represented in the show is as factual and real as possible. Everything from gravitational wells to nebulas like we see in this week's episode of Star Trek Picard are at least theoretically real. Star Trek's brilliant science advisor, Dr. Aaron McDonald, who some of you may recognize from the season one finale of Star Trek Prodigy, is back to explain how she helps the series creators separate the facts from the fiction in the final frontier. Take a look. This nebula is a womb, and we are swimming in its amniotic fluid. Space babies? One thing that's so cool about Star Trek is it's had this like long legacy of science advisors. You have writers coming up with the craziest ideas that you don't think are possible, and then these amazing experts in their fields are able to kind of ground the ideas more in actual science. How many doctors and scientists got into their fields because they were inspired by Star Trek. So there is a responsibility to get as much of that right as possible. Not just am I in charge of making sure any science, real science dialogue is accurate, but also maintaining the legacy of the Star Trek science. This cannot work. I have to understand what's come before and how we can utilize that when we're trying to talk technology and engineering for the story. Obtain and deliver the asset. All else is expendable. Unfortunately, the starship fairing Jack Crusher couldn't escape the center of the gravity well. In episode four for Picard, we wanted to have the ship stuck in a gravity well and try to figure out like how they're gonna escape. Being presented kind of with that story, then it's just a matter of making sure we explain everything correctly. We're falling deeper and deeper into the nebula's gravity well. We're sinking. 
the main thing that we want to make sure we don't say is that you're getting sucked into a gravity well. I think a lot of people have this impression, especially of black holes, that they go around like hoovering up like in different parts of the galaxy. But really it's just a steep point of gravity. Like we have gravity here on Earth. It's a gravity well that we are stuck in. It keeps us here on the surface. So we just have to be sure that we're saying like, you're stuck in it versus being pulled into it. Gravity wells have an escape velocity that you have to be going a certain speed to get out of. How would you do that? How could you manipulate the ship's inner systems to be able to create enough power to be able to get out of it? So all of those little nuances to the story is kind of where I come in. A big part of this too is the nebula. Any type of cloud of stuff in space can be considered a nebula. So the idea that this nebula has a gravity well really just comes from the idea that mass creates a gravity well. So even though it's a cloud, you don't think of it being heavy, but it's still stuff. Kind of the big mystery in this case, right, is that this nebula has a much higher gravity well than expected. We knew right away that this nebula was not your traditional Mutara nebula, that there's something else going on. There's something biological. And it's sort of, we knew we had this payoff planned. It was sort of a womb. It was an ambiotic fluid that they were going through. It was the birth of a space creature, not unlike Encounter at Farpoint. Now we've encountered species before, life forms that thrive in the vacuum of space. We can only define life as what we know it to be, which is what we see here on Earth. But that's not to say that there couldn't be some other form of even sentient, like self-aware life out there that's just made up of something totally different. And there are whole fields of science where they study things called extremophiles, or what we would consider life, but that lives in very weird, strange environments. Deep in the ocean where there's a ton of pressure and it's super dark, and from what we know about life, nothing can exist and then we find stuff down there so we're constantly pushing those boundaries of how we define life and it's really you know who are we to say that that can't exist i like to yes and the storytelling process and especially when this is the type of stories that we've seen before right this isn't unheard of i think for me working on season three of star trek picard has just been an absolute honor because you think about that legacy of science advisors that really started with Star Trek The Next Generation. And so being able to kind of revisit that world and be able to contribute to those specific characters is really special. This week's episode sees a changeling impersonate several officers aboard the USS Titan. Which Starfleet officer did a changeling spy imitate for months on Space Station Deep Space Nine? Was it Miles O'Brien, Julian Bashir, Benjamin Sisko, or Jadzia Dax? And the answer is... Julian Bashir! While the real Dr. Bashir was held in a Dominion prison camp, the changeling pretender took over as Deep Space Nine's chief medical officer and even played darts and racquetball with Julian's best friend, Miles O'Brien. The crew of the Titan may have escaped Vodak and the Shrike, at least for now, but don't you worry, there's lots more high-stakes adventure to come, including in this exclusive clip from next week's episode. <laughs>
Commission will always reveal their weakness. You could have sacrificed a move to reveal mine. I already know yours. It's time! Impulsiveness, stubbornness, short-sightedness is yours. <laughs> Meditation thing. You know I was gonna win. Priority communications alert. Incoming encrypted message from Starfleet Intelligence. Your handler? Yes. Finally. It's been almost 24 hours since you contacted them. Patience, Raphaela. Patience, my ass. If that attack on Starfleet recruiting was just a distraction, that means as we speak, there's a bunch of terrorist goo freaks out there planning their next attack. It's precisely why I requested access to Daystrom Station. We need to find out what else the changeling stole from that vault. Denied. What? Thank you for being with me here in the ready room and sharing in my love for all things Star Trek universe. I cannot believe I get to do this. And a very special thank you to Todd Stashwick for the Titan-ic chat. Titanic chat? Next week, Starfleet's coolest intelligence officers, Michael Dorn, who plays Worf, and Michelle Hurd, who plays Rafi Musiker, will join me to share all the top-secret information about Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 5, Imposters. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.